0: Hello, and welcome to our at any rate emerging market focused podcast, a place for us to discuss recent developments and key issues of focus in the emerging market fixed income asset class. I'm Johnny Gordon from the emerging market strategy team here at JP Morgan, and I'm joined by Saad Siddiqui, also from our emerging market strategy team. Saad, thanks for joining.
1: Hi, good to be here.
0: So the summer is coming to an end, but in many ways, the market dynamic from late July, early August feels like it's coming back here and this is a global and particularly u.s rates market that is pricing an economic outlook which markets in risk markets had priced for many months so a more benign environment with higher chance of of u.s growth being resilient and that keeps rates elevated for a longer period of time and given u.s rate curves are still inverted at levels which previously have only really preceded recessions, the pressure there is on the belly and the longer end of the US rates curve to rise. And there's some supply and and fiscal concerns uh, also in that. We'd actually reduced our positions we talked about in the last podcast in early August due to this, um, what we felt need for a repricing. And in this podcast, what we'll try and do is Think a bit through the impact of what a prolonged period of high U.S. rates means for EM fixed income markets. So high for long, uh, as we'll talk about it for U.S. rates. Um, so, so let's maybe start with some definitions. An environment where U.S. policy stays high, let's say at around current levels for maybe another year or so, could happen in a couple of different ways, which feel like they may have different outcomes. So. What scenario are we thinking about here? So
1: that's right. I I think it's important to clearly define what high for long means because uh, for different people, it could mean different things. I think uh, we need to be um, uh, cognizant and thoughtful about high for long. Short end rate is not the same thing as high for longer uh, long end yield. So that's one distinction. Um, Clearly here we're talking about policy rates or the short end of the yield curve. But the context is important as well because uh, there is one scenario in which uh, the Fed funds rate could stay at these elevated uh, levels for longer because R star or the natural rate of interest uh, is higher. And R star could be higher because maybe trend growth and productivity uh, is, is higher, and that's clearly a very different scenario from one in which the Fed is having to keep rates high because inflation is stickier than anticipated, not coming down as fast as they expected. It could be because you know, expecta- inflation expectations have shifted. So I think both of these scenarios uh, need to be considered. Um, I don't think we can rule out the one of our star being higher, um you know the new york fed's measure of r star which you know has clearly had like any measure of these unobserved variables has issues with it um that has uh, nonetheless shown that's been increasing they've also shown that their estimate of trend growth is increasing as well for the us uh, so i think both need to be taken into uh, account so there's more than meets the eye i think when we talk about higher for longer But if we think about these scenarios, Johnny, how would you think uh, they uh, impact uh, EM fixed income markets?
0: So if we have to think about maybe that benign scenario of uh, higher for longer where growth is doing okay and uh, inflation is just not coming down to target, Still, that would have various cross-currents to think through for EM markets. Um, you've obviously got a one-channel through risk environment. It's probably a benign risk environment. Equity still rising. DM credit spreads probably staying low. Commodity prices staying supported. So that's a sort of mid-cycle feel, you know, center of the distribution. And that will likely help EM through markets through those risk channels. Um, but the other important channel to consider is what that means for global liquidity and funding conditions. And we're probably thinking about an environment where that remains tight. And that's going to impact EM, I think, on the other side of the equation uh, and keep some pressure in pocket. So you know, there will be those cross currents that
1: we'll probably need to, to consider both. So we had such a period uh, in the mid to late 90s where the fed had hiked in 94 uh, into 95 and then rates stayed high for a prolonged period we didn't really get any cycle we had some adjustments in the fed funds rate but nothing that one could call a cycle how was that period for emerging markets
0: yeah it was painful for em e- fixed income
1: so you had a period where
0: us equities continued to go up that was the dot com eventual bubble but you had a decent risk backdrop for global markets but for em it was painful we had seven years of crises and defaults um you saw incredible volatility in in sovereign credit spreads or wide that we haven't seen since uh you had balance of payments crises. fx was under tremendous stress debt crisis uh, we had a couple of rare negative quarterly GDP prints for EM. So in terms of precedence, that one wasn't very, uh, uh, you know, a, a good one for EM in that period where where rates were higher for longer.
1: And very briefly, what was specific about that period which made EM so vulnerable?
0: Yeah, so obviously in those high for long, you get uh, – shifts in capital flows and um, typically towards the US and the dollar. And that exposed vulnerabilities that EM had to uh, finance current account deficits or pay external debt. And so in the 90s, you had pegged exchange rates, a large buildup of that external debt. Um, And so when those higher rates in the US came and stayed, that capital outflow Led to FX devaluations. You then had exacerbated external debt uh, problems, given large foreign currency borrowing, and that all, you know, has been well documented. Sort of led to that period of of uh, difficulty.
1: And are any of these things at all relevant today?
0: So, mostly not. But in pockets, yes. So we've obviously had a ramp up in government debt to GDP in EM in the last 15 years or so. But most of that is really domestic debt, the external debt metrics uh, overall in EM. Uh, are much lower than they were in the 90s, and so that vulnerability is reduced. And really, that is because the big countries, those actually which were around in, in that period in the 90s, the Brazil and Turkey's et cetera, they have quite low government external debt now. Um, but there are parts of EM which look more similar. Smaller frontier countries, we've discussed that in previous podcasts, they have run up high external debt, um, to levels actually similar to the 90s, and some of them have more rigid FX regimes. So I think that if you think about an environment of high for long, those countries uh, may well stay uh, in a period of ongoing uh, stress.
1: And how do you uh, think about EM credit markets today in light of um, the, that, those previous lessons and the current state of the, the EM credit markets right now? So I think
0: probably not in a uniform way, i.e. it's going to impact countries which have different um, exposures to those vulnerabilities in different ways, may not be a single asset class trade. Uh, Those which are maybe commodity oil exporters with low external financing needs are likely to do better. Those which are likely to do worse are those with high external debt, rigid exchange rate regimes. Uh, And so it's likely that you're going to see some of those, let's say single B, triple C rated countries that need access to primary markets in order to avoid default are going to stay under stress because those capital markets probably are not going to be as open as they've historically been. Uh, And if they need to access capital markets to make debt, repayments, then I think those ones are going to struggle. Um, so high yielding part of the asset class probably remains under periodic and, and country specific stress. Uh, those that do better may well be IG or in, even in the double B where you have more exposure to that global beta, the commodity price impact will help them and they generally will have lower external debt. Uh, and so can, can generally stay in a more stable regime. So that's in credit. Saad, what do you think this all means
1: for EM local rate markets? So for local rates, uh, a a knee-jerk and obvious answer might be that if US yields are higher for longer, that means EM uh, rates must also, by implication, be higher for longer. But as we know, markets, things that are obvious ahead of time rarely actually play out uh, as expected, uh, and I think the lessons we've learned in the past few years, um, including the period of uh, QE are important here because what we've seen in the past decade or so is that an increasing number of yield curves in emerging markets are not only able to trade through the uh, dominant um, you know the 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 kind of the dominant uh, yield curve for them. So for example you know, for Latin America um, it, and for large parts of EM it could be the. US um, uh, uh, yield curve but for EMEA EM say for a country like central Eastern, Eastern Europe, the uh, euro area curve is the dominant yield curve. Um, you know for shekel as well for example, some combination um, of US and, and euro area but we've seen that these yield curves have indeed been able to trade through, the dominant curve for them. So for large parts of the last decade or so, Czech yields were trading below uh, euro area yields, or the spreads were very low. Same thing for shekel um, as well. And we'd seen over the past um, few years in Asia as well that yields have been able to compress much more than um, people had expected relative to to US um, yields. So, I think that's uh, an important context that, um, you know, although I think it's fair to say that there's maybe some floor that's put on uh, EM yield curves as a result of higher for longer US rates, it's not a very hard floor. So, that's the first implication. Um, the second is uh, the current starting point for monetary policy in emerging markets is as, as that many emerging market central banks, I think, do have an independent monetary policy. So we've seen rate cuts uh, widen out this week. You know, Poland cut rates more than expected. Uh, we've seen cuts uh, previously in uh, in Hungary, in Chile, in uh, in Brazil uh, and in some other countries. Uh, so clearly these central banks don't need to wait for the Fed to cut. In fact, they don't they're 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 happy to cut rates even though there's a good chance the Fed might still be hiking. So from current levels, I think they've got still decent amount of buffer to be cutting rates. So that's the short end of the curve, and even the long end for some of the low yielders that have got DM-like characteristics, uh, you could see the spreads between those and uh, US yields come down. I also think there is a subplot here, which is that um, you could see a divergence between the Fed and the ECB. So for those yield curves. Uh, more sensitive to what uh, is happening in the Eurozone, uh, they could trade further through um, uh, U.S. yields uh, and the U.S. yield curve uh, as well. I think those are important nuances there. Uh, Probably it's most relevant, I think, for Latin America, where I think it's more of a constraint for yields to come down ultimately, because that's a region where we've seen in the past, if the spread between uh, LATAM uh, rates and, and the U.S. rates. If it compresses too much, it can lead to capital outflows. Uh, but I don't think we're near those types of levels where that's going to be a constraint just yet.
0: Great. So um, finally, let's talk about EMFX.
1: What do you think this all means for EM exchange rates? So that's uh, the most difficult question for last. As we know, in the fickle world of emerging market currencies, Uh, the main dominant structural driver of the week is very different from whatever new long-term theme uh, emerges in the subsequent week. Um, So, uh, you know, the relationship between EM currencies and US rates, you know, how the relationship between uh, total returns and carry is clearly a complex one, even at the best of times. Um, In the long run, I think it's important to um, recall uh, a lesson that our colleague Jan Lewis has made in his research, which is that in the long run, the most important thing actually are not macro trends, but the entry price. Uh, so I think how EM currencies behave is all going to be a function of, uh, of the price and levels of, of exchange rates. And I think at current levels right now, if you look at uh, long run, Bilateral real exchange rates uh, with the U.S. are still a lot weaker than, say, long-run 20 to 30-year averages. So I think that gives some type of valuation cushion uh, to emerging market currencies. While we're seeing some of the carry buffer uh, erode, in the most part, it's happening slowly for the currencies there that we've um, liked in the last uh, you know, a few quarters. Places like Mexico is probably unlikely to see a big erosion of of its carry buffer versus the U.S. In Brazil, it's still very high and eroding only slowly. Uh, but maybe those currencies, um, such as those in Asia um, and in Central and Eastern Europe, that will see a quicker deterioration of carry could be a bit more uh, vulnerable uh, to a higher for longer uh, regime. And the final thing I'll say is that it's really important what happens to commodity prices, especially for, uh, for, the, uh, for the commodity exporters. We've seen in the past uh, few quarters that not only have commodities prices held up, but export volumes coming out of Latin America have also held up despite weaker growth in China. So I think that's actually going to be key. And if I think about um, what's a bigger risk in the next Say, you know, a few months, uh, I'd be more concerned about um, commodity prices um, volatility uh, than about um, kind of a slow deterioration of of carry for some of these um, high yielding commodity exporting currencies. Great. Well, that brings us to the end
0: of this JP Morgan at any rate emerging market focused podcast. Thanks to you Saad for joining today and thank you all for listening and we hope to have you back again with us for the next one. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to J.P. Morgan research reports related to its content for more information including important disclosures. 2023 JPMorgan Chase and Company All Rights Reserved. This episode was recorded on the 8th of September 2023.